Good morning. It's Tuesday, July 13th. I'm Shemitha Basu. Welcome back. And I'm Duarte Geraldino. This is Apple News Today. Each morning, hear about some of the most fascinating stories in the news and how the world's best journalists are covering them. Army General Austin Scott Miller, the top U.S. military official in Afghanistan, has stepped down from command. Going forward, the United States will have a limited presence of about 600 troops in the country to protect its embassy and the international airport in Kabul. The formal withdrawal date is August 31st, but Miller's exit means it's now effectively complete. I spoke with Washington Post reporter Pamela Constable. She used to be the Kabul bureau chief and just came back from Afghanistan on Friday. She describes how the U.S. military presence affected the country. You know, superficially, the country has changed in many ways. It has really advanced in terms of education, in terms of women's rights, in terms of economic development. But conflict and terrorism have haunted all of those advances. And in the last recent months, with the Taliban really going on a rampage after the peace talks essentially collapsed, everything has really kind of been left up in the air, and we don't know what's going to happen. It was not until the past month that we began to actually see on the ground what was happening. Afghan defense forces basically melting away, abandoning their posts, turning over weapons, making deals. They didn't want to fight. It's quite astonishing, actually, to to see that happening in, in place after place. You've reported on Afghan interpreters and other contractors who were all vital to the U.S. war effort. How close are they to being evacuated from the country, and what's the plan for them? The plan has not been worked out as far as we know. It hasn't been detailed in any way. All the interpreters that we interviewed over the past few weeks, they'd heard about it in the news, but they hadn't been notified or informed in any official way that they would suddenly be sort of back on track or back in line. So it's still all sort of in the rumor stage. There was a discussion about sending them uh, to third countries for final processing. There was discussion of using Guam and the Pacific. But as far as I know, none of that has actually happened or actually even been announced. It's all still in the planning stages. On Sunday, Representative Adam Kinzinger, he was on Meet the Press, and he was pretty frank. He predicts the U.S. military will eventually have to go back to Afghanistan. Oh, I do think it's quite likely we're going to have to either when we return to Afghanistan because, you know, of the existential threat to us or our allies, reoccupy Bagram, or we may have to bomb it uh, if there is some kind of an air mission. Do you think that's possible? And what would conditions have to look like on the ground for the U.S. military to reinvolve itself there? I can't quite picture it. Certainly not anytime soon. If it were to happen... It would have to be under extremely dire circumstances. I mean, at this point, we're still hesitating sending anyone to Haiti, which is only 90 miles away, and it has a very close relationship with the United States. To send troops, actual troops, back to Afghanistan, I think would only happen if the government collapsed and there was a threat of a military takeover, either by the Taliban or by some of the ethnic warlords. And even then... I mean, President Biden was quite clear and quite frank about saying this really isn't our war anymore and we have other things to worry about. But in terms of actual American troops 
who would be in harm's way in Afghanistan. After all of this and after this very difficult withdrawal, I don't see it happening and I'm not sure what it would take to make that happen. Pamela Constable is a contributing reporter and former Kabul bureau chief for The Washington Post. Pamela, thank you so much for your excellent reporting. You're welcome. There are new developments in the fight over voting rights. Yesterday, a large group of Texas Democratic state lawmakers left the state in order to prevent an important vote. Instead, they flew to Washington, D.C. What they're trying to do is block state Republicans from passing a bill that would place new restrictions on voting. The Texas GOP has the votes, but if the Democrats aren't there to vote, the legislature doesn't have a quorum. We reached out to Alexa Ura, who covers voting rights for the Texas Tribune. She explained some of what's in this legislation. Republicans have framed their proposals as an effort to reduce the likelihood of fraud in Texas elections, even though there really is no evidence that it occurs on a widespread basis. The bill does things like banning the 24-hour voting that was offered in Harris County last year, and which was meant to you know, widen access for people like shift workers for whom the usual 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. hours don't work. Ura says the bill would also add restrictions to voting by mail and drive through voting. Ura also explains, while this might buy state Democrats some time, the ball is still firmly in Republican hands. The Democrats are up against the calendar. They are trying to run out the clock on this 30-day special session, of which we still have more than three weeks left to go through. But for Republicans, they really do have the power here. Governor Greg Abbott, who supports this voting legislation, can continue to call them back in you know, even consecutive special sessions. He has the power to do that and can really just continue to call them back to Austin until they pass it. While they're in D.C., Texas Democrats plan on rallying for federal voting legislation. A new national voting law could override parts of Texas's proposed voting rules, along with restrictions in other states. Today, President Biden is going to be in Philadelphia to deliver a speech on protecting voting rights. There's been a lot of will-it-or-won't-it Olympic speculation over the Games in Tokyo, which are scheduled to start later this month. But for decades, the recurring Olympics debate has been whether moving the Games is good for cities that host them. The place that gets chosen ends up spending big bucks on new facilities. And after the fanfare dies and the athletes pack up and go home, many of these arenas sit around collecting dust. It can be a kind of raw deal for the people who live in these places. Popular science looks at a provocative proposal. To end all of these problems, how about just holding the Olympics in the same place forever? Sounds a little bit out there, I know, but this was one of the original proposals. The modern games were launched in 1896. At that time, a lot of people were backing the idea of doing the modern Olympics like the ancient Olympics, totally in Greece, every time. As we know, That did not happen. But the case for a permanent Olympics venue, or maybe one for the winter and one for the summer, is getting new attention. Popular science looked at the argument that the current system is bad for the environment. Why build new stadiums every couple of years when they get so little use afterward? 
One report estimated the carbon emissions from hosting the Olympics can be bigger than what a small country emits during an entire year. And if you ask some supporters, they'll tell you, ending the rotation could be less expensive and better for the planet. And the billions saved could be better spent on projects that improve cities for us and for the environment. There's been a surprising new record sale in the high-end market for collectibles. A pristine copy of Super Mario 64 just sold for over $1.5 million. You remember this game? Here we go! I love that game growing up, but the price tag is surprising a lot of people since it's hardly a rare item. More than 11 million copies of the game were sold. Vice explains this particular copy is special because it's still in its original shrink-wrapped state. There's this company that grades the condition of unopened video games, and this one, it got top ratings. This is the first sale of a video game that surpassed a million dollars. And it's the latest example of buyers going after collectibles that tap into childhood nostalgia. Vice says Pokemon cards are also rising in value. So if you were an 80s or 90s kid and you're still hanging on to any games from your childhood, you might want to check out their value on the auction market. They might be collectibles now. You can find all these stories and more in the Apple News app. And while you're there, check out some of our audio stories. We'll talk with you again tomorrow. Tomorrow. 